0: Well, we are in Second Kings chapter 14, and we will also be in one of the Minor Prophets, if you saw the note on, on Facebook. Second Kings chapter 14, we have a little bit on the reign of Jeroboam, who is probably one of the greatest kings of the northern tribes that there were. He, was, um, he brought into a lot, of, a lot of prosperity, expanded the borders, And probably the the greatest height it will reach before it begins to completely go away. In verse 23, In the fifteenth year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Judah, became king in Samaria and reigned forty-one years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, who had made Israel sin. He restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the Sea of Araba. according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he had spoken through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was of Gath-Hefer. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, and whether bond or free, there was no helper for Israel. And the Lord did not say that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, <clears throat> but he saved them from the, by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam, and all that he did, his might, how he made war, and how he recaptured for Israel from Damascus to Hamath, or in Hamath, what had belonged to Judah, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Jeroboam rested with his fathers, the kings of Israel. Then Zechariah, his son, reigned in his place. That's all the kings gives us on the reign of Jeroboam. He does reign a very long time, 41 years. Some have supposed that probably the last, the first year or two was during the actual reign of his father as well. Uh, some of the part, I believe, with his being, uh, the conspiracy against him, him being chased from the city and all. It could have had something to do with that. But his father named him after the king, the first king of Israel, the one who left the, the worship of Jehovah for the false worship. And he was named after that. But it seems like this guy is not in the same category as the first Jeroboam. We saw that a prophecy was given by Jonah. So Jonah did not just give prophecies to uh, faraway lands that he was taken to by fish. (laughs) Apparently he also made some prophecies in the land as well. We're just not given too many of of those. I did see some historical account that there was a servant of Jonah who had a uh, container, but apparently it was empty. And it may have had some of the prophecies, some of the things that that he had uh, written, but apparently they did not survive. They did not continue on. There are a lot of prophecies in the Old Testament that were given that did not make it into the Bible. The ones that made it into the Bible are the ones we were supposed to read and study from. So they just were not ones that we were supposed to do. But he had come and given a prophecy to Jeroboam, and he had told him that he would expand the kingdom, take some of the land back that Damascus had taken, and... uh, Bring them into great prosperity. Now you've got to wonder, why does God send a prophet like Jonah to a king like Jeroboam if Jeroboam is so evil? Right, but it only classifies him as evil. It says he did evil. He didn't leave the sins of Jeroboam. Now I told you those sins, that once they get a hold of a nation, it takes a lot to break them. You need somebody who's going to go through like a Jehu and just begin to shatter some things. And just begin to, to uh, just basically destruct the political correctness is there's no room for that. You got to go in there and you got to start shattering some things. And if you look at his son, his son is named Zechariah, which means remembered by Yahweh. So did much better job naming his son than his father did with naming him. But if he got the attention of Jonah, he also has the attention of Amos. Amos is also one of the prophets, and we're going to take a look at a little bit of the the book perhaps it will spur you to go on and read the rest of the book. It's not that long of a book. It's about nine chapters. But um, it's uh, real, easy to underst- to, real easy to understand the flow of it once you see some of the things we'll get into here, here this evening. So this is his, his reign. His, the land becomes very prosperous. And uh, he does very well. If we go over to the book of Amos in uh, chapter 1. If you pull up the... I, didn't, uh, I don't think I car- copied it into mine. Pull up uh, Amos chapter 1 and verse 1. We're going to find out a little bit about our, our man here. The words of Amos, who was among the sheep breeders of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. Now, they had an earthquake, apparently, that made the word of God. This is quite an earthquake. Now, they have done some digging up and some uh, uncovering of, about some things in this earthquake, and th- what they found was a, a large amount of destruction around the time of 760 B.C., which would be around the time of, of this earthquake. They uh, guesstimated it to be somewhere between 7.6 and 8.3 on the Richter scale. They're thinking actually more towards the higher end. And it completely devastated some towns because, of course, they aren't um, prepared for really big earthquakes. What was the one that was just just happened? Um, six point something. Six. Uh, I'm trying to think. What town? What, what what area was that? What country was that in? Um, just happened this week. It was a 6.8, and a, it collapsed buildings. Point uh, now I just can't remember where it was at. But you know, if you know the Richter scale, if you go up uh, point 0.5 points from 6.8 point to 7.3 uh, and then go from 7.3 and other 5 points, you don't increase the same amount. It's, it's not a progressive scale. It's very much on a curve that goes like this. So the later numbers, are, uh, uh, the difference between an 8.1 and an 8.2 is huge, whereas the difference between a 6.1 and a 6.2 is not nearly as much because of the way that the scale works. I don't know why they do it that way. That's just the way they did it. I didn't make the scale. I'm just telling you how it goes. So when you see up in the upper levels, the 7, the later 7s and the early 8s, these are really big earthquakes. But even an 8.2 to an 8.3, it is a huge difference in the amount of force that is going on. So when we're talking this thing being 7.8 to 8.3, somewhere, it is a major earthquake. And so they actually dated some things from it. This happened two years before the earthquake. There was going to be an earthquake. It's about two or 300 miles north of Israel is where this earthquake uh, happens. And so it really hits the towns that are around there. But it also does have an effect down upon the, the area of Israel. Now, Tekoa, that's his uh, hometown. This is about six miles south of Bethlehem and about 10 miles from Jerusalem. So if this town is six miles south of Bethlehem, what area... Would that put it in? Tribe of Judah. Judah is in the southern tribe. Where is Jeroboam? He's in the northern tribe. So he defines his, his reign here, or his time here, during the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. These are the two guys. They both reigned a very long time. Uzziah was one of the longest reigning kings in the the southern tribes, and Jeroboam, one of the longest reigning kings in the northern tribes. So you have two kings that are just there seemingly forever when you have all these guys that are two years, five years, eight years, ten years. These guys really were out there for a long time. So he's in the southern kingdom. For him to come up and minister into the northern kingdom, they're going to see him as a foreigner because he's from Judah. Judah. Not a whole lot of good feelings between Israel and Judah, especially, remember the last chapter, we had a big battle that went on, and Israel came on down, knocked down the walls of Jerusalem, uh, took some prisoners. Israel, before that, had sent their soldiers away. So, not a whole lot of good blood between Israel and Judah right now. And here he is, down in the southern area, get a call from God to come up and minister a word to the northern people. <laughs> He's probably... uh arguing a little bit about that with, with God as well. We don't have any kind of argument in there at all. We just uh, kind of imagine that it might have happened. So there's a prophetic message that comes out of Amos in chapters 1 and 2. Eight times you're going to see this phrase. And let's see if we... Um, let's just keep going and, and reading in verse 2. And let's uh, take a look at it. And he said, The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn at the in the top of Carmel withers. I keep going. Thus says the Lord, for three, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not turn away its punishment because they have thresh, threshed Gilead with implements of iron. All right, we can stop on that one. You're going to see this phrase repeated eight different times in chapters one and chapters two. For three transgressions and for four. We do this eight times there are seven foreign countries that are discussed. The last two is Judah and Israel. All eight are in here. Eight pronouncements. So, um, I'm sorry, six, six uh, foreign countries and then the, it, Judah and Israel for a total of eight. Each time we start it this way. For three transgressions and for four. For the first six, if you go through and you read through them, you will find no more than one or two transgressions. Sins listed. It will list sins in the prophecy. But no more than one or two for all six of the foreign, of the nations that are around Israel. Now, i put in your, your outline for you the nations that are there. The first nation is Damascus or Syria, the city of Damascus, the nation of Syria. The second is Gaza or Philistia, the Philistines. The third is Tyre or Lebanon. The fourth, we don't even go to a city, we just say Edom. The fifth, Ammon. The sixth, Moab. And then we have Judah and Israel. These are the ones. For the first six, you will have either one sin or two sins, never three. But how does the prophecy start out? For three transgressions and for four. So the idea here is that... uh, and the, the, your blank there is not a blank you need to fill in. It's just a blank. For three transgressions of Damascus, for three transgressions of Syria. He just keeps going th- through for Ammon, for Moab, and he just replaces the name of the country. But we always have this phrase, for three transgressions of whatever, and for four. Three represents the fullness or the completeness. And as uh, yes, he said, used a total of eight times. Four probably re- represents the overflow. So what he's saying is, you have filled your capacity of transgressions and then you went above it. That's basically what's being said there. You're going to have one or two for the first for the first six nations, one or two sins listed. How many of y'all know they did more than that? For Israel or I'm sorry, for, for Judah, you're going to have three. They despise the law of the Lord, they have not kept his commandments, and they have become liars. What do you know of the nation of Judah? Would you say that there are more sins than those three? Yeah, I'd say there's a few more. Despise the law of the Lord, have not kept His commandments. What about the idolatry? Now, what about not trusting? We can, we can name a whole lot of different things. The Lord's not trying to make an exhaustive list. This is the closest we have to the three. It doesn't go to the fourth, but it goes to three. When we get to Israel, we have a list of seven. Now, Amos is sent to the northern tribes to deliver this. He goes to the northern tribes and delivers a judgment against the enemies of Israel, the nations that are around them, and Judah. But then he really launches into Israel. Well, again, he was sent to the northern tribes. He's going up there. He's giving them a lot more detail because this is the prophecy that affects them. So there's more detail on the sin. Then there's a whole lot of detail on the judgment. And that's where the rest of the, the book will pick up. So as you uh, go on home today, tomorrow, and you decide, I'm going to read the book of Amos, that's the, uh, that's the setting for the, the whole thing. I wanted to read verse uh, 11 and 12 of Amos chapter 2. I raised up some of your sons as prophets, and some of your young men as Nazarites. It is, is it not so, O you children of Israel, says the Lord? But you gave the Nazarites wine to drink, and commanded the prophets, saying, Do not prophesy. Now, what is a Nazarite vow? Don't drink and don't cut your hair. Two things. So what did they do? They took the Nazarites and gave... Now, how many of you know they didn't say, here, have some wine. Oh, thank you very much. What, what do you think? What kind of picture do you get when it says they gave them wine? I think they forced it all. Yeah, just like they forced the short hair on Samson. They forced the wine on these guys. This is what we think of your Nazarite vow. And they, they, they forced this on them. And the prophets, now the prophets they they don't have to have the they don't necessarily have the Nazarite vow. They're prophets, they get a word from the Lord. But you gave the Nazarites wine to drink and commanded the prophets, saying, Do not prophesy. We've already saw some of that, didn't we? Well, verse uh, one of chapter seven. Thus says the Lord God thus the Lord God showed me. Behold. He formed locust swarms at the beginning of the late crop. Indeed, it was the late crop after the king's mowings. And so it was, when they had finished eating the grass of the land, that I said, O Lord God, forgive, I pray. O that Jacob may stand, for he is small. So the Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be, said the Lord. Thus the Lord showed me. Behold, the Lord God called for conflict by fire, and it consumed the great deep and devoured the territory. Then I said, O Lord God, cease. I pray, oh, that Jacob may stand, for he is small. So the Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be, said the Lord. So there are two things that he saw coming upon them, and two times he intercedes for these people. And two times the Lord relents what he's going to do. Verse 7. Then he showed me, behold, the Lord stood on a wall made with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. How many of you know what a plumb line is? Plumb line is a string, and you got this little weight down there at the bottom of it. And you hold the string up here, and the plumb line will find a straight line. And so you take a look at the thing that you're building to make sure that it is straight, according to the plumb line. So he says, You go out to the wall, you take the plumb line, and you hold it up. And he showed me, Behold, the Lord stood on a wall made with a plumb line, with with a plumb line in his hand. The wall is made with a plumb line, which means it was made straight with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, Behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people, Israel. I will not pass by them anymore. The high places of Isaac shall be desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. I will rise with the sword against the house of Jeroboam. So what happened was, the Lord said, We made this with a straight straight line. Now I bring the straight line up, and it's not working. It has become crooked. It has fallen. That's not how we made it. And this is the Lord. The Lord is coming. He's got the plumb. You know his plumb line is straight. <laughs> I don't know if any plumb line would be off, but I know that his, more so than anyone else, it would not be off. The nice thing about a plumb line is they're, they're not real complicated. You don't need any kind of digital, any kind of computer technology. All you need is a string and a weight, and it's going to work. And they're all going to work just as well as the other ones will. He just brings that up there, and he says, see, It's not measuring up. So, he sees this. He sees the Lord. Imagine this. Having a prophecy. You see the Lord standing up by the wall with a plumb line. Amos is not just some run-of-the-mill prophet. He saw the Lord with a plumb line. The Lord's talking to him. The thing is, Amos is not shocked. He doesn't fall down. He doesn't uh, run away. He's This is normal. It's almost like this is not his first encounter with the Lord. This has probably happened before. So, verse 10 of chapter 7. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die for the, by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away captive from their own land. Now, that's not what he said. Look at verse 9 again. The high places of Isaac shall be desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. I will rise, I will rise with the sword against the house of Jeroboam. Where does he say that Jeroboam is being killed? It doesn't say, it, does it? Look at what Amaziah the priest at Bethel sent to Jeroboam the king. <clears throat> Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword and Israel shall surely be led away captive from their own land. Did he say any of that? No. He did not. It is not a new thing that God-fearing people are misquoted. It has happened before. It will happen again. Do not believe anyone who tells you what any person, preacher, not preacher, Christian, don't matter, if, if they serve God and someone comes up and says, they said this, do not believe them. Let that person say it themselves. Go and check it out with that person. Because this is just running the mill for for Amaziah, the priest. Now he's not a priest of the Lord; he's a priest of this false worship that's set up in Bethel. That Amos has said things against, and 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 spoken against. He doesn't like Amos, and he feels perfectly at home at misquoting him. <laughs> How often do we hear people being misquoted here? Well, so and so said this, and so and so was was doing this, and. And that whole thing that uh, rose up with uh, uh, Dr. Ben Carson—did <clears throat> did that ever get blown out of proportion for what for what it was—that he said, "I'm going home to get some clothes," and, and then they all said he's dropping out of the race. Yeah. CNN re- was the one that reported it that he's dropping out of the race, and then CNN tried to back off him. it. No, we didn't say that. <laughs> was that ever? Crazy? I heard that. Fact, I heard somebody really brought some some uh, semblance to this whole thing. Did did, any, did enough people, be or were they influenced by this decision? He would have had to have 25,000 people who were going to vote for him decide not to in order for it to affect the, the election any. Because in order for him to get into the next spot up, he would needed 25,000 more votes. As it was, he outperformed the polls. He did better than they expected him to do and grabbed more votes than he was expected. So I don't know how much, but it was surely messed up. But again, you had somebody saying something. That, now the, the Carson campaign said they were this is what they're doing, but a whole lot of wrong things were taken from it, till so it came out to be. Dr. Carson said he's dropping out of the race. He's not dropping out of the race. He's he's still going on. But it, that's how it can certainly happen, and and things can go on. We saw that whole thing with the incident down in Florida, where they took the recorded. Message from the nine one one call that the man who was who spotted the i can 't think of the, the people 's name now, but um, uh, yeah Zimmerman and he gave the the call and they ABC actually took the recording and changed it all up, changed the order of what he said, how the questions were asked, so that it made it sound like he was saying something very racial, which he wasn't. if you heard the whole recording there wasn't anything in it at all. But see, this is what they'll do. They have no trouble misquoting to the point that you had Dan Rather who decided to make up news. And this is what they will do. This is why do not believe what these people say, but especially do not believe what they say about a man or a woman of God because they have no reason to get it right and don't want to get it right. Don't let them sway you. Don't let them turn you. Don't let them say, well, brother, sister, so-and-so, they're no good. They're just doing this. Do you, they don't know. They sure have no spirituality at all. This is Amaziah, the priest of Bethel. I mean, he's supposed to be a religious person. Completely misquote. Amos put it in here. This is exactly what I said. This is what Amos is doing. This is exactly the word God gave me. This is exactly how I laid it out. This is what I said. This is what Amaziah said I said. That's what he reported to the king. Let's read it again. Jeroboam shall die by the sword and Israel shall surely be led away, captive from their own land. Not even a hint of that in anything that was said there. Closer you get, I will rise with a sword against the house of Jeroboam. Doesn't mean he's killing the house of Jeroboam, or Jeroboam himself, means that house is going down. Well, it's at the house of Jehu. He was promised four. Jeroboam is the third. They got one more. And then it's over. Verse 12. Then Amaziah said to Amos... Go, you seer, flee to the land of Judah. There eat bread and there prophesy. In other words, you came from Judah, get on back there. This is not your land. We do not want you around here. You are a foreigner. (laughs) But never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary and it is the the royal residence. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor was I a son of a prophet, but I was a sheep breeder. That's what we saw in the first verse. In a tender of sycamore fruit. Then the Lord took me as as I followed the flock. And the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. So he's over there taking care of the flock. Taking care of the trees. Minding his own business. Not the son of a prophet. Not trained as a prophet. Nothing. Just minding his own business. And God comes down to Amos and said, Amos, I have a job for you. I need you to go up into the land of Israel and proclaim a message. Amos doesn't have any experience in this area. And this is what God says. So what's he do? He goes. He didn't eat a fish. He just went. Go prophesy to my people Israel. Now therefore, hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel and do not spout against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Your wife shall be a harlot in the city. Now, understand what he's saying here. He is not condemning her to a certain lifestyle that she doesn't want to do. What he is saying is, you're going to die. When you're dead, she will have no way of making a living. So she is going to have to follow after this kind of a lifestyle because there is no other lifestyle for her. She will have to do this for survival. That's what he would hear. That's what he is saying. We may not hear it that way now, but there's not a whole lot of work for women in those days. That was one of the ones that they would do. So if someone became a widow, this was sometimes the thing that would, that would happen to them. Not a, not a pretty picture, but that's what he's saying. Your wife shall be a harlot in the city. It's not that God's purpose for her is to become a harlot. It's just that she's not going to have a husband. Your sons and daughters shall fall by the sword. There will be no heritage for you. they are all going to die. Your land shall be divided by a survey line. You shall die in a defiled land. And Israel shall surely be led away captive from its own land. So he's pronounced judgment upon Amaziah for his lies. Now this is pretty good for a novice, don't you think? He's saying I'm a novice, but he's talking about seeing the Lord with a plumb line. And... He gets a word about you're gonna die. This is what's gonna to happen to your wife. How many of you got a word like this might be a little hesitant to give it the first time? <laughs> this is your first time out, this is kinda of new for you. I just get amazed that he's saying, I, I basically came out of nothing. I just was I was just tending cheap. Just tending some livestock, doing some minding my own business, and God sent me up here. But he says, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. Well, of course they don't take to it all that well. You can go through and read the rest of the, of the book of Amos and find out some of the things that were, were going on there. But Jeroboam has attracted the attention of Jonah. He has attracted the attention of Amos. He's attracted the attention of God. God has called Amos and sent him up there. God took Jonah and said, Jonah, I need you to give you a word to the king. I want you to go in there and I want you to tell him that he is going to expand the territory of Israel. He's going to take back some of the land of Damascus. We're just guessing that what the prophecy was. But we know from the king's account that Jonah came and gave him a word about the expansion and that it came about. Now, whenever we have in the Bible that a prophet came and gave a positive word to a king There was something about the king that leaned towards God. They may not have been the perfect king, but there was something there that at least leaned towards God. So in Jeroboam, though he is classified as an evil king because he does not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, and here you see this, here's Amaziah, he's the priest at Bethel, got a lot of weight, carries a lot of weight here. And Amos is sent up to do this. Now it's not that there's no prophets in Israel. There are prophets in Israel. But for some reason, God wants to make a statement by taking someone from down over here in in Judah and bringing them up. Remember, uh, it's not too long ago, Elisha had to school the prophets. Mm. He left some people behind Mm. to be prophets in the land of Israel, the northern tribes. Mm. So those folks are out there going about things. But he takes this amateur (laughs) and he brings him along. We call him one of the minor prophets. It's minor and because of the book size that they wrote was small. Not minor because of their message or their ministry. But that's what was going on there with, with Amos. So we have a king who walked in all the sins of Jeroboam I. But Jeroboam II is the closest thing to a good king that Israel ever had. The closest thing to a good king that Israel ever had. Now, that may be a little bit discouraging to us. We look at Jeroboam and we say, well, look at all the good things. Look, God, he got this attention from God. He got these prophets. He did all this great stuff. He won all these battles. He brought all this prosperity into the land of Israel. And God called him evil. So I wrote this down for you. It is not that close is not good enough or that perfection is needed. It's not that close is not good enough or that perfection is needed. But there are certain baselines that must be maintained. There are certain things, if you are going to be having a good walk with God, there are certain baselines that you need to maintain. But what happens with Christians is we develop our own baselines. And we do this continually even today. How many times have you heard Christians when they want to talk about why God hasn't done something for them, why they don't, I don't understand why this hasn't happened, I don't understand why these things are happening, they go over their baselines. You know, I haven't done anything really evil. (laughs) Haven't killed anybody. (laughs) Haven't robbed any banks. (laughs) (laughs) I just always laugh at all the people who start off with that. I haven't killed anybody. (laughs) (laughs) Man, that's good. (laughs) 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 If you really want to blow them out of the water, just talk to me. You know, David, he was one of God's... Favorite people. Remember David? He killed thousands. (laughs) He killed thousands. And do you remember Samson? He was anointed to kill people. Anointed by God to kill people. Yeah, that's what he did. Remember Saul? You know why Saul was raised up? To kill Philistines and giants. That's why God raised up Saul. To kill Philistines and giants. (laughs) You'll just blow them out of the water with all that. You can just keep on going, can't you? How many people did God raise up to kill people? I heard somebody give the, the description of an army. You know, what the, you know what an army is there to do? To kill people and destroy things. <laughs> That's what an army does: kill people and destroy things. <laughs> Pretty much what it is, isn't it? Yeah. And God raised up armies. And uh, if you know, the, if you really want to throw them for a loop, take them back in the Old Testament got a bunch of uh, people that are all disobeying God, rising up against Moses. What's God do to them? Killed them. Right there. Opened up up the ground, (laughs) sent fire down upon the earth, burned them up. The prophet of Elijah sits there. People come after him. He says, fire come down and burn you up. God sends fire down from heaven, burns them up. Yeah. And you're saying that you're going to heaven because you haven't killed anyone? All right, let's throw that one out. (laughs) Huh. Well, I haven't stolen anything. Yeah, huh, that's interesting. How did David collect all that wealth that he built for the kingdom? I mean, billions and billions and billions of dollars worth of gold. How did he get that? He killed people and took their stuff. (laughs) He killed people and took their stuff. They (laughs) were dead. They were dead. So you just... But we we develop our own baselines, don't we? This is what I think God would, would like me to not do or to do, and this is what I have not done or what I have done. We develop our own baselines. And it's not good. We're not supposed to develop our own baselines. We're supposed to find out what He, what He wants. I put this in your outline for you. Don't just do good or godly things, do what He loves. Don't just do good or godly things, do what He loves. Now, in order to find that out, you have to get into the Word of God you got to dig into the Word of God and find out. What does He want? We all love those, you know, it's a hallmark that have the Valentine's Day things on there. My wife likes to sit there and watch some of the ones. I like some of the movies, too. At least you know that they're, they're uh, pretty uh, pretty easy to watch. Not going to have all that disgusting stuff going on and compromising things that are that are happening. But, uh, you know, you get in some of those uh, love stories and they, all, they, they go back to where they got the letters between each other and they save the letters and they read over the letters again. Why do they do that? Especially if the spouse died. The spouse died, they got the letters and they, they keep those letters and they go over those letters because it reminds them of the, of the spouse. Well, that's what we've got to do. We've got to go over our, our uh, love letters, so to speak. We've got to sit there and go over the Word. God, I need to know your heart. Well, I already know his heart. You know, I already learned about God. Oh, did you? David learned about the heart of God. And though he was a murderer, not just one who killed people, he did actually murder people. And though he did that, and though he did steal some things, he stole a wife, he was still called a man after God's own heart. The baseline cannot be one of your own choosing. The baseline needs to be one of God's choosing. Some of the things that He loves. He loves people of faith. Well, can we learn more about faith? That we can walk more in faith. Our God is love. He loves people who walk in His love. Not people who mimic or try and copy it, but people who walk in the love of God. Can we learn more about the love of God and walk more in that? Oh yeah, we sure can. God loves to... Give grace. Can we learn more about grace that we can be givers of grace, givers of mercy? Do we know all that there is to know about grace and mercy? We need to learn some more about those, those kind of things. So there's a lot we have to, to learn, a lot we need to, to get into. If I want to do the things that are important to God, if I want to do the things that He considers to be most important, His baseline. That's what I need to find out. That's what I need to do. Not that he didn't murder anybody. didn't rob any banks. <laughs> didn't do all those things. Know his heart. Know the heart of God. Jeroboam, for all the good things that were going on and all the attention that he got from God, he didn't learn that the heart of God was to be a true worshiper. One who worshiped him the way he asked and he kept following in the sins of Jeroboam to worship God the way they wanted to, the way that was comfortable for them and that's not what one got over so Jeroboam was called an evil king when we go to the book of Amos we have a little bit of a different picture and we might not call him evil but God did anybody want to argue with God? No, I don't want to argue with God. If God called him evil, you're evil. Uh, that's, that's all there is to it. So what does God say about us? What is the heart of God in our, in our area? We've been talking a lot about submission and authority. How are we doing in that area? How are we doing in the area of submission to God? How are we doing in the area of submission to the people that are, we're supposed to be submitted to? Or does our own will keep rising up? Does pride keep rising up? Or are we going to be one of of humility? I remember what one person taught about Moses. Moses was probably the most used man in the entire Old Testament. Can you think of anyone who was used more than Moses? I mean, the things that he did. Wow, I tell you, the amount of people he he affected. He affected two whole nations plus a bunch of other nations in a smaller degree. But Egypt and Israel, he impacted greatly. And a number of other places on the, on the way are kind of sorry they crossed Moses. <laughs> They're a little, little sad. Some of them are happy that they helped them; They got blessed for it. But he affected all kinds of things. And yet the Word of God says that of Moses, he was the most humble man of all the earth. If you want to be used by God, what do you got to be? Humble. Become more humble. Learn how to walk in love. Learn how to be graceful gracious. Learn how to get that trait going. Learn how to let the love of God operate on the inside of you more than anything else. These are God's baselines. These are the things we know about from the from the Word. If you want a real contrast of it, go through the book, the the Gospels. Look at how Jesus walked and looked how the people walked around them. The Pharisees are trying to make sure they got all the little little things that were all taken care of. But they're missing the big picture. They missed the people. How to minister to the people. How to walk in love to the people. They missed all these things. They missed the forgiveness. They missed the grace. Who are the people that got Jesus' attention? That's the baseline we need to, to get hold of. We don't want to be a Jeroboam II. We want to be... One that God says, that's after my heart. We want to be more of the David. Of the other people in there, we want to be more like the Amos crowd. We want to be those that are minding their own business over here in the land of Judah. And God says, go up to the land of Israel and go do this. I've never done that. We don't give him any excuses. He tells us what to say. We go on up there and we say it. And we get abused. We don't want to be an Amaziah telling people of God, be quiet. Hush. You are go back to your own place and prophesy and eat and have fun down there. You don't need to be coming up here anymore. We don't want to hear you. He's one person just trying to speak for a whole nation. have got to make sure we aren't that. But what is the heart of God? How much of the heart of God have we gotten hold of? And how much is there still to get? Every time we go into the Word of God, we ought to go in with the intention, Lord, I'm going to find out more about your heart. I'm going to find out more about what's important to you. Because those are the things that I'm going to keep the forefront of my life. Those are the things I'm going to be walking in. Of all the things you're focused on, are you focused on what God considers to be important? Father, we thank you for the help you give us to know your heart, to know what's important, to know what we should walk in, to know what we should do. We want to focus on those things, Father, that catch your eye, those things that are important to you. And you give us help and understanding. To grab hold of these things. We can understand your heart. We can know what you want. And we can pursue it. Of all the good things. That Jeroboam II. May have done in his life. Most of them were lost. Because he didn't do the things. That were after your heart. There is a plumb line. And our Lord and Savior Jesus holds it. That is the straight way. We can hold ourselves up to a crooked wall, even one that started out straight, and think we're doing okay. But it's our Lord Jesus who holds the plumb line. He says, this is the straight way. Walk ye in it. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.